In our recent episode, The Quicksand of Comparing Pain, we had a focused discussion about so-called oppression Olympics. And so for this reprise, we're going back to episode eight, when we had a more casual conversation about the same topic. This is Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy, a weekly show hosted by April Baskin and Tracy Guy Decker. In a complex world, change takes courage. Wholehearted relationships can keep us accountable. I feel like there's this sense that we have as Jews that because of the Shoah, Mm -hmm. therefore we win the oppression Olympics. And like, don't, don't, don't you dare try to compare what you've gone through to what we went through, which feels so, I mean, talk about a scarcity mindset. (laughs) I mean, like that's really just messed up. And I think it puts us into the wrong place often when we do, I mean, when we do try to think more broadly about systemic oppression. When I first started on this self-conscious anti-racism journey and I ended up talking to somebody at my synagogue and I was really talking about how like coming to grips with white privilege and coming to grips with the facts that I have benefits that my neighbors of color don't have. And he was like, look, I'm sorry, you're talking to a guy who's had his ass handed him so many times because he's Jewish. And I was like, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Does that mean that you can't have benefited from white skin privilege because you also suffered from antisemitism? Like, right. it, and again, it's that either or, right, right. I mean, there it is again. There's that white supremacy. It, right. and I think it it ties into what you're saying about sort of the need to like show it off, mm-hmm. right, like. Look at this horrible thing that happened at my synagogue. Look at this. I see us, see us, right? Like this invisible, you know, like it's, it's, and what you were saying was so good that I just, I started recording. And <laughs> it was so good. So like, so yeah, people caught up, <laughs> you know, like I, I was talking about this, it's sort of a sensitive subject, but, but you were actually talking about some metaphysical principles that I'm into and, and you had a phrase and that you use, what was your, what was your phrase? I always tell myself and others that we need to move toward what we want and not away from what we're afraid of. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and the spiritual principle that I've been taught is that what you focus on grows. Um, I learned this in a mystical context and also I was so thrilled when I heard Adrian Marie Brown also specifically use that phrasing. Um, and, and I noticed that, that there's a pattern among Jews at times that bothers me. Um, and I agree with the sentiment, but like the basic principle as it relates to fighting anti-Jewish oppression in my mind is that it's like the example of, of, of what you focus on grows and that you should move toward what you want and not um, focus on moving away from what you don't want is that is that by um, when anti-Semitism arises or when there are things to deal with, and this may not always always be the case, but I, but I believe more so than not it is, that it's better to focus on amplifying what is good about Jews and how Jews are just like everyone else, and there are specific ways that we basically just educating people about the universal, like the universal experiences that Jews share with all other folks, as well as um, sharing uh, different challenges or, or cultural specifics and uh, forms of oppression that we face and informing people about our humanity um, that is both distinctive and often shared with other, other groups. And instead I notice 
more so than I noticed within the black community, like there's sensitivity in the black community around if there's a shooting or something to not actually show images of black death and that that is deeply disturbing and um, re-traumatizing. Whereas I notice when there are moments of, uh, when there are acts of, not moments, but acts of anti-Semitism that arise in different communities, it really bothers me because as someone who notices these patterns, because I notice that my, my at times, occasionally my t- timeline on Facebook or on social media has been filled with all of these swastikas and anti-Semitic images. And it's not, and it's not white supremacists who are posting this. It's Jews who are aiming to bring visibility, but I think it's the wrong kind of visibility because I think without realizing it, some of my folks are intentionally amplifying the hatred and something that could, could have been contained. So I, I just, I think that we can get more savvy in our strategy in supporting a local community. I come from a community where a synagogue was firebombed in Sacramento during my childhood. And like to this day, I'm very careful about suspicious mail because as a kid, as a religious school aide and eventual teacher in high school, as a kid, like we had to be very sensitive about suspicious packages um, in Northern California and, and how kids were getting home, which is a thing in general, but there was just like an extra layer of security and nervousness, right? And so I, I viscerally feel a sense of connection to those real concerns. Um, and so it's all the more, so I think ideally at times when these things happen, it would be really smart for us to find ways to, to support that community without further amplifying the bigotry and anti-Semitism um, that we're being targeted that's, that we're being targeted by and instead lifting up and educating and reaching for relationship. I think in part what's challenging about that is, is that because of the collective trauma that uh, many white Ashkenazi Jews in particular, but also Jews of other ethnic backgrounds too, um, but, but, but specifically what Ashkenazi Jews have faced, um, trust can be a hard thing after millennia of being having trust broken in different countries and with different communities. Um, but that is what we need to lean into and actually decide that actually that we do have a lot of allies or potential allies and let's reach for them and lift up our humanity and reach for relationship rather than um, going for visibility and actually just giving more visibility to the hate. What's yeah. interesting for me is that I think part of that is rooted, like as you were talking earlier, part of it is also, I think part of the, the what's the, the trigger, the reflex response to do that, I think is in part, um, which I do understand, but again, I think it's not the right strategy, is around uh, Jews trying to contradict the invisibility of, of anti-Semitism and also the invisibility of Jewish pain. Um, you know, there's this, it's so interesting because I, you know, we aim to have these bite-sized episodes that are digestible for folks. And we're talking about this thing that is like whole, Not digestible, <laughs> yeah. like whole years of study, like enormous volumes of work. But, but what I'm trying to say is that I think also related to someone who, consistently brings a trauma-informed lens to all the work I do, 
is I think also lifting it up is trying to say to the world, I am a part of the people who have been hurt and targeted and I, and I want that to be known. And I think part of that comes up specifically in American, in, in, in an American context, because in general, American society has been very selective about what it wants to make visible. It's been open to making the Holocaust visible, but not really open to there being open critique or complaint about anti-Semitism within American society in a meaningful way. It's more like, you're welcome. We eventually, after letting millions of you die, we eventually saved you. And now just fall in line. And just in case you are unclear about that, we're going to pretty unjustly execute two Jews during the Red Scare. And we're going to do these, give these subliminal messages that indicate uh, you're lucky to be here, but don't push it. And I think ultimately, to cut to the chase, it's going to take courage and organization and alliances across lines of difference. And solid. But we actually do need to push it because that same oppression is tied to that. That is white supremacy. That is tied exactly. to the racism, right? That's it's all right. And Jews are. And, and so instead of actually facing that, I think at times some of us end up just am, actually amplifying the bigotry. Well, we don't know exactly. And we, we fall into that white supremacy culture, that either or again. And, and I, I want to give credit because I didn't, I didn't put these words together in this way. The first time, DeRay McKesson is the one who said that our liberation is, or our oppression is linked and not ranked. Um, those two words. Anyway, but th- I think that's exactly what you're saying is that we're, you know, we focus so much on our own trauma and then it becomes... And then we fall into the white supremacy culture of either or that we and and scarcity that we say if we're talking about our trauma, there's no room to talk about your trauma, when in fact they are intimately related. The same systems that cause trauma of Jews through systemic anti-Semitism cause trauma of Black folks through systemic anti-Black racism. That we right. and and once we recognize that they are actually intimately linked. And that we can, by fighting one, we're fighting both. And that, mm-hmm. that, that there's, you know, there's an abundance of room to fight that trauma. That right. I think we right. can actually start to maybe move the needle. Right. I, have, exactly. I have to believe that. I have to believe that we can. Me too. Move the Me too. And I, I can't see any way that it, it's not um, the way, any way that it wouldn't. I think, I mean, for me, interesting, you said, um, uh, Dre McKesson said, uh, linked, not ranked, right? And and, what's, uh, and like the nuance of that is that I think overall I agree with that. And I think in some ways, because I hear this a lot, like there's no hierarchy. And, I, and some of us actually think they're, one, that I agree with the linked. I like, I like that, like that they're linked and not ranked. And in some ways I think there are some hierarchies, but ultimately I think it all pans out. But around certain, like if you get into the nuances of different, things and the, and the natures of the nature of, of the trauma, I think ultimately all in, in the wash, it all, it all, what am I trying to say here? I need to get this right. Cause it's not talked about often, but just basically, I think there's just a lot, one ideally, um, whether or not there's, that there needs to be a lot more education but I think when people make those kinds of statements, when they do really rank, it's actually because they, they're not actually informed 
about American chattel slavery, or they're not actually informed about not only the Holocaust, but about thousands right. of years, right. of about the dozens and dozens of countries Jews have been expelled from, have been murdered in, right. have been ghettoized within for a very long time, right? And so, you know, so I, it, it's more that I just... Oh, there's so much I want to say here. Ah, and so I'm not saying anything. There's so many things I want to say, but like, you know, even if you just look at the, like that people think, people think, look at, at forms of anti-Semitism now, but you need to, in general, take a longer view and a more holistic view of all of these things. And that, as, as I'm probably going to mention a ton of times, <laughs> um, as, as Dr. Joy DeGruy talks about in the context of slavery, like send that to the Holocaust and other forms of collective trauma. It's not like a group of social workers came in and said, wow, that was really horrific. Like we need to get you help because you developed all of these dysfunctional patterns that actually were really smart in the context of the oppression you were navigating um, but aren't going to be so helpful. Right. They don't serve you anymore. Life like anxiety, like terror, like not trusting that actually makes perfect sense. Like that's to me, some of the challenges in certain ways around some of the ways that mental health gets framed um, is there are certain things that literally are mental health. And there are actually things that sociologically in terms of social psychology, are actually totally healthy responses to unhealthy dysfunctional forms of oppression right. and there are collective patterns that whole groups of people develop um, that aren't necessarily illnesses. In some ways they get, end up getting classified as illnesses, but they're varying forms of collective post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, and so at times people think Jews are overreacting or black people are overreacting. Right. It's like if you actually held the whole picture, you would actually notice that each of these groups, respectively, are pretty miraculous and how well and how amazingly well they do, despite these horrific traumas that happened, that received where, they, where there was almost no one who came in and helped them, where they eventually came in, but not after profound intergenerational trauma was, was um, inflicted. And... Um, and not much help, and often the anti-Semitism or racism continuing after slavery, after the Holocaust, and yet still. And so that's the thing that I often desire when these issues come up or when people want to rank things is that I just want people to stop this either-or battle and this conditioning that we have that keeps us all locked um, and move more into a both-and I, my um, grandma, my grandmother had this saying that I, I really want, it's like coming up in my head right now. It's so funny. So actually, I think it was my great grandmother originally who said this. So, yeah. but it's been passed down through generations of women in my house where um, they say, if I cut my finger and you cut off your leg or you you lose your leg, my finger still hurts. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a really like it's important that we have perspective. I mean, I think that I'm getting at this based on some of what you were saying about hierarchy and about the intergenerational trauma, et cetera. Perspective is important, but not to the point of um, denying or invalidating 
the pain of the of the other or of yourself. I think because right. people people do it both in both and, ways. Right, right, and like and at the same like you know, and I would like I think yes, absolutely, and uh, and I'm like an action somebody, but also like getting your finger cut, like yeah, that hurts, but it actually isn't the same as not having your leg. Not the same at all. But that doesn't mean, th- yeah, absolutely. So that you right. have to have the perspective and ha- and and be grateful and recognize what blessings you have, and there's still pain there. And to me, actually, but again, like what I would add to that though, because like it, it's I don't know was that because to me in that story, what I'm also saying is I think that often at times Jews may say something like that, like this still hurts. But actually what they're saying that's different than say a Christian counterpart is actually without even them being aware of it, they're actually saying this hurts in part because it triggers all these other times where my people have shed blood and died and there actually hasn't been sufficient justice. There was some truth and reconciliation that was very important in Germany, but mm-hmm. actually there are literally, like at some point we will actually go through it. I remember I was once at a training where it spanned this huge multi-purpose room, all the I, like countries I didn't even know. Like even in my Jewish upbringing, they never actually showed an exhaustive list, probably because it might have been triggering or scary and overwhelming. And when I saw one that I didn't even know if that was complete, countries that I didn't even know had Jews live in them at one point, had ex- right. murdered or expelled, right? And so, like that is to me also what I'm saying because like the black part of me is like, yeah, but actually they're missing their leg. But part of the point is that also it's almost as if you could project black folks, like let's say things start to be more just for black folks, which right now to everybody, they were nowhere near that. Right. But then like, if you project out 500 years and there was actually no intervention, healing intervention, they would still be carrying, they would still be carrying in their bones and likely in part because of epigenetics, DNA, that unresolved terror and trauma. Right. And so to me, that is, implied in that in that statement because actually uh, like actually uh, your your and the broader oppression in society that actually like a paper cut actually isn't that bad compared right. to losing leg but it actually that's the subtext of that that they don't haven't been given conditioned the space to feel safe enough to say is yeah my finger still hurts and i mourn the fact that half of my family's legacy is gone and and that I don't feel safe to be fully me and that I actually come from making things up. I come from a line of Yiddish communists and or Jews who were amazing social justice leaders who had to go into hiding around that and, and straightened their hair and all these different ways that Jew, white Ashkenazi Jews were subtly stripped of their identity. And so I think that I, I think that that, explains part of that ferocity around that competition it's a misplaced self-advocacy for what has what has the harm that has been done and and some of the self-agency that has been stripped away and what i would say rather radically is with education and support and courage it actually is possible to reclaim your identity in an anti-racist, um, uh, Jewishly proud manner, and also like acknowledge other communities' pains and the specificity of it. What's similar and what's different? Right. Um, right. I think maybe we can wrap up 
this episode, and I think it's kind of cool that we just dove in. It, you know, that's the <laughs> shows. So I was like, oh, we're doing it again. We're having our this conversation that I want. So I'm just going to click record and go for it. <laughs> um, you know, is um, and I may share it again because it's like worth retelling. Um, a friend of mine is a, a Jew from Germany, and she was raised in Germany. Um, I would say her name, but I don't know if she wants. She's come with me on the podcast, so and um, and I'll never forget this conversation that I had with her grandmother. I wish this was almost. I wish it was a camera or something, but it's like etched in my heart. Where um, there were dancers on TV, maybe, maybe I can't even. I can't. The, the story's a little blurry now. I can't remember if it was the actual album. You know, we wait in the water scene. And my friend told me that she shared before I brought it up with her grandmother again, when she was studying black dance at, at university with me at Tufts. Um, and she explained, cause she learned um, in, in, in college, she explained to her grandmother that, that um, Wade in the Water was one of the songs that was used as a way of subtly giving instructions to help um, formerly enslaved black folks get out, out of slavery to freedom. And she said that her, that's right. That she told me this and, and then she, and then she shared it with me. And then later we brought it up with her grandmother over tea at her grandmother's house. Um, and, uh, and I believe her grandmother's Lithuanian and, and she, and, she, and anyways, my friend shared with me that when she told her grandmother that story, her grandmother started to cry and said, why didn't we think of that? And, you know, and my friend said, it's hard to say her name. You know, and I said, and I, and I said, I, want, I asked her if it was okay if I brought that up with her grandmother, and she said it was. And I said, you know, it, it was different. The oppression was different. Slavery was slow and long, and Black people were enslaved for hundreds of years. I mean, they fought it all along and tried to escape, but it took them decades and hundreds of years to figure out how to do that code, whereas the Holocaust was fast, right? And some Black folks, and in some ways I agree, think of um, American child slavery as, talk about it as a Black Holocaust. I don't like to literally use that language, but there's a way in which I think at times, anyways, we had this whole, I had this whole conversation with her for a few poignant minutes and about, we talked about how they aren't that different. That, they're, that they have different distinct, and so I shared with her, like, I hope you know, like, I, like, like no group of people could think, could come up with something that smart with, with no notice. And, um, and it just, it felt so sweet to me, and I wanted to cherish that moment forever as someone, you know, talking with someone who was a Holocaust survivor, and and hearing and hearing us both say as someone who's deeply steeped in in both narratives, obviously she's more steeped in the Holocaust narrative as someone who lived it, but I want to be clear about that. Um, you know, but I, I said to her that it was just different, but the, but it was more similar. But she agreed that it was more similar than than different. The difference to me in my mind, because lives were extinguished and whole generational lives were cut off. Um, which also did happen in slavery. The difference for me is that they decided it was more in their economic interest to keep us alive. Right. Like have us work until we were dead, just extended the, the window, which is still not exactly this, but I think 
but if that's someone who spent a lot of, do you see it? But you know, but it was I just do. more like less work camp because they realized that they could make more profit and build a whole country off, off the backs of my ancestors. And so I think in a, a future episode, we should probably wrap up and it's the cult of prayer now. Um, but uh, we should probably wrap up. Yeah, in a future episode, I was recently talking with my mom. I'd like to come back to some of the dynamics around. Not getting to have a guest talk about this sometime, about this, some of the distinctions, um, because I notice um, a pattern, and I'll just leave it here as a teaser for a future episode. Um, that people who, I think, I'm speaking generally, and this isn't universal, but I often find that that the people who are Holocaust survivors have an easier time connecting with Black Lives Matter and the stories of liberation. And for the subsequent generations, it's different. It's not quite the same, but with actual Holocaust survivors, if you see the stories of them going to the actions and involving, and, um, and to be clear, there are also their descendants who are also many who are actions and organizing things. But um, there's more to say there, and I think we're probably at time, so. Is there anything else you want to say, Tracy, before we go? Oh, I don't think so. Thank you, April. Yeah, they're often action items, but I feel like this was, there's just a lot in here to unpack and consider. So as a, as a follow-up action, I would just invite um, our awesome listeners to share this with someone you know, either the actual episode itself or your summary of an component of it, and dialogue I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll catch you next week. Much love. Thanks for tuning in. Our show's theme music was composed by Elliot Hammer. You can find this track and other beats on Instagram at Elliot Hammer. If this episode resonated with you, please share it and subscribe. To join the conversation, visit JewsTalkRacialJustice.com, where you can send us a question or suggestion, access our show notes, and learn more about our team. Take care until next time and stay humble and keep going.